0: Hello and welcome to the Chris Hill Podcast on iCode Media. In this number 50 bonus episode, I wanted to talk about the Stark Law and how it applies to optometry. But first, what I wanted to do was discuss a few cases uh, that were recently in the news, not from optometry, but from other medical doctors that uh, have be, been in big trouble for this. So uh, the first one is from New York. It's an indictment of piam Tubium, MD. Uh, 51 of Kings Point, New York, and his company, America's Imaging Center Incorporated for defrauding Medicaid by forcing patients to get unnecessary and invasive medical tests. So for years, Tubian allegedly ran a kickback scheme where he bribed other physicians for patient referrals, subjected some of those patients to tests and procedures they didn't need, and then caused false claims to be submitted to Medicaid for those tests. Tubian, through his corporation, America's Imaging, operated Empire Imaging, a diagnostic radiology center in Forest Hills, Queens. And Tubian was charged with grand larceny in the third degree, healthcare fraud in the third degree, and eight counts of falsifying business records in the first degree, and three counts of violating social services law statute prohibiting the payment of kickbacks, that's Stark Law, related to the provision of services under... The state's Medicaid program. These are all felony charges, and so um, you know a couple things. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about about this case in depth. But uh, before we get to how this applies to Stark within optometry, you know this specific case was from January 2006 to August 2017. Tubian allegedly gave gift cards, cash, and checks totaling more than $547,000 to three physicians in exchange for those referrals for for Medicaid beneficiaries into Empire Imaging. Empire Imaging received more than $1 million in paid claims relating to those patient referrals from those physicians. And so essentially those physicians were getting half, a little bit more than half of what uh, Tubian was getting. Um, There's no mention in this article about those other physicians and the penalties on those other physicians. My suspicion is that may be ongoing. In addition to that kickback scheme from January 2014 to August 2017, Tubian had directed his employees at Empire Imaging to add additional unordered radiological procedures to orders submitted by those referring physicians to increase the amount of money Empire Imaging would receive from Medicaid. So essentially, you know, obviously, uh, we think about, well, this is a big deal. We would never do this. Of course. yeah, you wouldn't ever do this, hopefully. Um, the uh, the The reality though, is that it can apply to the physicians that you are referring to. So obviously, from an optometric standpoint, there's some clear things that could become an issue here. We're going to talk about those in just a second, but Make sure that the, the physicians that you're referring to are, have good business practices and, and, and the things that they're, uh, that they're doing feel right. This obviously wouldn't feel right if you're getting checks in that amount um, and your patients were getting tests that you didn't order. That would be, you know, you you'd, you'd want to know why that was happening. So another one that I wanted to cover was from San Francisco, Henry Jeffrey Watson, a medical director residing in Oakland, California, was convicted by a federal jury of charges that included accepting kickbacks, accepting kickbacks for patient referrals to home health agencies, healthcare fraud, and false statements relating to healthcare matters. So uh, let's look at at what he did. the The grand jury found that uh, Watson, who was 67, engaged in three healthcare kickback schemes from 2013 to 2019 using his position as a licensed medical doctor. The first scheme involved a conspiracy in which Watson agreed to refer patients to home health agency called Amity Home Healthcare in exchange for illegal kickback payments. Again, Stark Law. The evidence at trial proved that Watson. And employees of Amity and its CEO conspired to pay Watson regular and recurring amounts, sometimes in the form of cash payments of $3,000 a month, to ensure that Watson referred Medicare patients to Amity each month. So again, this is this is Stark Law. Uh, And then a second scheme, so that was the first scheme, second scheme that was proved at trial, Watson accepted kickback payments from an undercover FBI agent posing as a home health care agency representative seeking Watson's agreement to refer patients to a particular Bay Area home health agency. The evidence at trial included a video recording of Watson accepting envelopes of cash for a total of more than $10,000 at four meetings in 2017. And then the third thing that uh, he was engaged in was he falsely certified patients' need for expensive home health care services, causing Medicare to pay millions in un- unnecessary and fraudulent claims. So again, how does this apply, apply to optometry? Well, these are indirectly applied, but but essentially, the question that I see often is, can optometrists uh, share in the uh, additional revenue that's generated from the post-operative management of premium IOLs or laser-assisted IOLs? And the answer is is still kind of uh, gray, although I think there are very black and white things that can be done and things that can keep you out of this questionable Area. So the first question I always like to think about is can the surgeon bill a patient for premium IOLs? The answer is yes, they can. Uh, This comes from a 2005 ruling that allowed for Medicare beneficiaries to receive premium IOLs. Uh, This may or may not continue. We'll see what happens. I think it would kind of rock the the, uh, IOL world and the cataract surgery world. But uh, there has been some discussion that this over time may go away, whereby patients can either accept to have their uh, premium IOL, and they would pay for the entire surgery, all of the costs associated with surgery out of pocket, uh, if they get a premium IOL, or they get their standard IOL that is uh, covered underneath Medicare. Uh, so specifically, the provider can bill Medicare, a Medicare beneficiary, the difference between what CMS reimburses for the standard IOL. Uh, and that encompasses the following additional costs of that care of the premium IOL. Those costs include things like services and resources associated with the examination, calculations of premium lenses that exceed the coverage for standard IOLs, services and resources related to refractive examinations, specifically associated with the insertion of premium IOLs, additional pre and post operative examinations, uh, changes in eyeglasses or lens powers, needed, so refractions needed to accommodate the progression of. Uh, post-operative presbyopia, surgical correction of the patient's natural astigmatism, wavefront aberrometry, uh, but only when a premium myol is implanted and the patient has obviously given consent for all of those above services. So obviously the surgeon can, based on that 2005 ruling, the question is, Can an OD co-manage a patient who receives a premium IOL? Yes. The short answer is that yes, Medicare's guidelines for co-management of post-surgical care don't depend on the type of IOP used. So here's the real crux of that question. So can the surgeon collect one fee for all of those additional services? So let's say that the optometrist is providing some of those services above that allow for patient to be billed for premium IOLs. Maybe the optometrist is performing some or all of those additional services. Can the OD um, be reimbursed? Yes, they can. Uh, But can the surgeon collect that fee Really, the answer is probably not. And in fact, I, my advice is no. The surgeon can't collect that fee on your behalf. The best way to do it is to either collect your own fee or allow the uh, or allow an intermediary to collect both the physician's fee and the optometry free fee for that. It allows you to comply with Stark Law so you don't wind up in one of these problems. So let's look at the, the co-management rules. The first uh, rule is that each physician bills their own services. That's how it works now. If you if you send a patient for cataract surgery, the surgeon will bill with a 54 modifier because they're only providing surgery. And the optometrist will bill, bill with a 55 modifier indicating that they are uh, providing the post-operative care. The interesting part about this is that that is that is going specifically to uh, the payer. So the payer is seeing that each one of those uh, services are being billed by that independent physician, and uh, and that independent physician then is collecting the fees for those specific services. Since there are additional services that are being provided by the optometrist, presumably those that we've discussed above, um, it's probably not best to to uh, have that surgeon collect those um, for you. So, so my advice would be that um, you'd have either a separate fee that you would charge the patient at the time of, of uh, post-operative care that's uh, turned over back, to, back over to you, or you would use an intermediary. There's a number of them. I'm not endorsing one here. We use one that I like a lot. Uh, and essentially, that uh, is a third party entity which collects both the surgeon's portion, the post-operative portion for the the optometrist. It discloses that uh, the the difference of each and the relationship between the two to the patient. And the patient accepts that uh, that disclosure and uh, accepts the fact that their care is going to be turned back over to the optometrist. It allows for stark law compliance because, it's disclosing to the patient it is collecting two separate fees, one for the surgeon, one for the optometrist, and those fees are based on independent um, an independent evaluation of each is each provider's fees. So that's the way I like to do it. It's the way I would recommend to keep everybody out of, uh, of trouble. And so we don't wind up reading you on <laughs> reading about you uh, from a news article from an attorney general in one of the particular states. I hope this bonus episode was helpful for you. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us.